ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Pri Kalari, VP of Design at Clayview, and we're going to talk about slow design today. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. It brings together the entire team, including developers, product managers, copywriters, and more, all in one easy-to-use design workspace. Everyone can access up-to-date design resources and add comments for feedback and clarification. You can even integrate with Slack, Trello, and Jira so everyone is automatically notified of changes. Sign up for free at zeppelin.io. Hi, Pri. Hey, Jane. How are you doing? Uh, doing great. Honored to have you here today. And uh, both as a fellow you know, email service provider and as a fellow designer, really excited about your work and the subject. Oh, absolutely. Same here. I'm excited to talk to you and share some of the things that, that we've been doing. Tell us more how you ended up taking a big design chair in an email service provider company. And I know you have origins as an industrial designer and a 3D animator. And how did it all turn into what you do now, managing a huge team of designers? Oh, certainly. So let me kind of step back a little bit. So you can think of where I come from. I'm an artist, engineer, designer. So I started off as an artist. I went to engineering school, then learned industrial design and 3D animation. And over the last 25 years, what I've done is I've done a bunch of different things, mostly a learning journey. And you could break it down into three chapters. Chapter one is the apprentice kind of space where I was in the agencies, I was in startups, I was taking a lot of things in. I traveled a bunch of countries, worked for various companies, Samsung, Microsoft, Intel, those kinds of companies, and really worked on tech, but worked with people. And that gave me empathy. That gave me a good sense of where people are coming from. My second chapter was in big companies. It was companies like Microsoft, Google, Motorola, eBay, these places where I got to scale the craft. I got to take what I'd learned at agency and really make an impact on product to billions of users. And that helped me learn a different side of the craft that I had not learned initially. Chapter three was turning it back all the way back to startups. And this is where I started working with a bunch of startups mostly in the Series A, Series B kind of spaces. And then also I started working with Clavio about a year and a half ago, scaling the team, bringing the team to where we're doing some really interesting work in the B2B space. By the way, congrats on your recent uh, rebrand or redesign. I'm not sure what's the internal term for it. Oh, thank you so much. The team would be very happy to hear that. Can you shed some light on how did that go? It's still a work in progress. So what we're doing is we're slowly working to make sure that 
we have alignment across how we come across to the world as well as what the users absolutely need. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're making a product that's fast, intuitive, inspirational to our users. Users are always the center of everything that we do. Customers, our customers are absolutely the center of what we do. So all of those things, step by step, we're getting there. Well, congrats again. Slow design. You are known to have strong opinions and slow design or slow approach to design seems to be like a central thread there, I guess, one of your favorite mm -hmm. topics. What is slow design in your world? What does it contain? In the big picture kind of perspective, slow design is about focusing in on the long term and focusing less on local maximum when we design, okay? And so I'm going to break this up. I'm going to break it up to some of my theses. What has happened in the last few months, few years, that has made me really focus in on this, as well as a challenge for all of us in design to really think about like what we do. And maybe we can also discuss how we are applying some of this in our work today, right? So let me kind of step back to the thesis. The thesis starts with three different um, statements, okay? First is that efficiency is the opposite of pleasure. Things take longer. When things take longer, we kind of enjoy it. If we take a long time to go shopping, it's fun. You know, if we take our own time to eat a dinner, it's fun, it's enjoyable, a conversation that takes a long time, but you forget time. And that's so much more fun, right? That's number one. Number two is that design is about iteration. It's about making. It's about making to think. It's about multiple versions of this. The wheel didn't come about in one day. You know, somebody took a square block and started chiseling out a little bit at a time. And that's how we got around wheel, right? It's about multiple evolutionary kind of mechanics that work together to form good design. Number three is that we optimize what we measure. And what I would like to propose is that we optimize for the long run, not the short run. And what we've been doing off late is quite a lot of optimization for the short term, okay? So those are the three theses. Then let me switch over to what has happened in the last couple of years. What has happened in the last couple of years is we had COVID hit. And COVID was like, nobody was waiting there saying, hey, when is this gonna come, right? It just happened to us. And when it happened, it suddenly opened our eyes to several things that were right in front of us, but we didn't watch. Number one is that life is not permanent. And when we meet somebody, this might be the last time we meet that person. And we don't know that, right? That's an important thing. Second is that relationships is very important. Connecting with people at a human level is very, very important. And that change pushed me 
personally to start to think about design. What is it that we are doing in design that we should be challenged, we should be thinking about from a long-term perspective, from a relationship perspective? Yeah. And so that's exactly what I put across to the rest of the designers that I meet up with. And I say, hey, you know, what are the things that we can do to slow down, to practice more slow design? And slow design for the designer is really just good design. It's about being human-centric. It's about co-creation. It's about working with the user to figure out what are the aspirations, what are the long-term dreams, how can we take the product and make it suitable for long-term aspirations, not just short-term, like, hey, here's the metric that we can up. And that translates to metrics for designers. For designers and product people, when we're building products, we're optimizing for a metric. We're always optimizing for something or the other. And what we're optimizing right now, we can change to optimize for long-term, right? And so this kind of a thing in our space might mean not just like, hey, it's a click or a buy, it's about re-engagement. It's about how many times did a customer come back and reconnect with you? And I'm going to circle this back to a little bit of a story that I have from a personal standpoint. I think of it as a bazaar, a bazaar like, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a small little village in India where we would go every Sunday to the bazaar. I would go with my mom and the seller would save a little fruit or something that I liked and he would give it to us when we go there. That was the relationship that we built with the seller and the seller built with us. And that was a long-term relationship. How do we take that kind of relationship and scale it to internet scale? How do we do one-on-one relationships at internet scale? That's the big question for us, right? And that's the question for a lot of people right now. I can totally see how Clavio helps build relationships at scale between merchants and their buyers. And that is one quest. But as a VP of design of a very complex email automation product, how do you help your own customers build relationships with your complex automation platform because it's not as simple as not not simple simple is the wrong word but it's definitely more technical and more complex relationship totally so people come to us because they have a dream right they have a dream to grow their companies they don't come to us saying hey i want to send a bunch of emails only that's a job to be done but the job to be done is just for that moment. The bigger job to be done is growing their company itself. What we believe in from a Clavio perspective is we are able to help them do exactly that. How does that now translate to UI UX, the product itself, right? So that comes down to how we show the different parts of the product, 
how we show trends, how we show and focus in on long-term metrics, how we help folks make a little bit more GMV if it is an e-commerce business, right? How we can show growth over time and how we might also focus in on where they might go based on the trends, where they can grow based on different things that they can do inside of the product. And again, all of that, if you look at it in micro, it might seem like short term, but you kind of have to put it all together and look at it in macro. And that's when you realize that we're not playing the game of short term like, we're playing the game of long term relationships. And we want to help all our customers build that relationship. A relationship that is like the coffee shop nearby where, you know, I go for a cup of coffee, they know me. We want our customers to know their users. We want our customers to build that relationship that is a long-term relationship and win long-term for them. You've been calling out the importance of measuring metrics and then um, optimizing towards them. And if that's okay for you to share what those metrics are for your design department when you are building your product. We focus in on three things, okay? And when I talk about slow, it's not slowing down how fast somebody can do something, right? And so we focus in on three things. That is fast, intuitive, and inspiration. Those are pretty much our principles. And fast is really time to get something done. People want to finish what they are trying to get done. We're a business application. If you're running a business, you want to get stuff done quickly so that you can focus in on things that matter the most for you. So we will optimize, we will measure and make sure that we tweak it to get stuff done quickly and fast. Number two is intuitive. Intuitive is about ease of use. It's about usability. It's about making sure that we focus in on the metrics where you come to the product, you make things, you feel like you know the product. You start to use the product in a very, very simple way. So intuitive is, again, focusing in on the usability side of things and it's about usability metrics. It's about making sure that we're measuring all of how people go through our flows and we're optimizing each and every flow that matters to our customers. Okay. The last one is inspirational. When you come to Clavio and use Clavio, we want to make sure that you resonate with your dream at Clavio as well. When you think about growing your company, we want to be there to give you the tools to help you in that path, right? And that might be about trends. It might be about the intelligence layer that we might be able to add to some of the work that you're doing. It might be about data that we have available 
and we can give to people. Like if you're in a company like an Amazon or eBay, you have enough data to an AI to make this happen. The machine learning side of things, we're able to give. We are able to give the tools that large companies otherwise won't have access to. My question as a practitioner would be, you mentioned, for example, intuitive as a, as a criteria, but intuitive is not a metric. I was asking about like actual metrics. <laughs> it's more like themes. It's more like themes for the metrics, right? Intuitive mm -hmm. is a theme. However, yeah. usability is a metric. You can measure. Tell us more. You can measure usability. You can measure how usable a product is by th there's there's enough papers out there so I'm, i'm not going to go into the details around exactly what it is but it could be simple as a time it takes to finish a task the errors that a person makes throughout the task it might mm -hmm. be like you know eye tracking that we do that might say how people what are the places that people spend time looking at and how they look at stuff. And all of those combined together mm -hmm. will give us an intuitive score. Now I love to hear that. Yes, because <laughs> that is, uh, there is always this problem of marrying because every big company has to invent those more inspiring high level themes that nobody bothers to explain to us mere mortals outside and they're like oh we are innovative and inspiring and and then how does it translate to actual practice uh, for, yeah. for your designers you know so please pardon those <laughs> questions <laughs> no this is great questions and thank you for asking them the questions you're asking is exactly where we're diving deeper into do we have all the answers no we're learning this we're working through this what i'd love to do and hold me to it in the next year i'd love to share a lot of the how to's on several of these measures several of at least what we did so that smaller companies that are growing fast can take a look at it learn from it and just go faster It's amazing that there are thousands of startups out there, but only a few of them became famous for sharing their guidelines. And I'm calling out uh, MailChimp, Dropbox, and the materials they were able to share. Yep. This is like, I can count it on fingers of one hand, you know, the amount of public materials that are available out there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Clavy among those. Absolutely. Um, speaking of slow design and how much time it takes to refine certain product functionality. I'm very envious of your company leadership because I talk to many designers at many startups and even for bigger companies, when they have like 300 designers on the team, they still feel strapped for resources and it's still a game of priorities. So how do you make space for those granular high quality improvements uh, when the overall growth pace is probably still high for you as a high growing company? It's a very good question. So I can talk about how we think through this from a company perspective, from a design team perspective, as well as a personal perspective. And so from a company perspective, we focus in on a few things that are most important for us as a company. That's how all good companies work. Most successful companies have 
focus. Then the second step is within of our team. What we do is we have a team structure. It's not like there's a bunch of people, 55, you know, 50 people working on this, 20 people working on this. No, that does not just automatically happen. We do have a structure, a structure that allows for different pieces of work coming together and coming together at the right kind of time sink as well, working with product, working with engineering. We think about product engineering and design as three legs of the stool, and we work together to make the product happen. Okay. So then if you go to person, I again go back to focus. Focus on a few things. There is a cut line and there is a few very, very important things, right? And it's very easy for me to say, hey, you know what? I can do something else if I have 10 more people. I don't believe in that. I believe for us to do amazingly good work, what that translates to is we have these many things to do. Here are the few things that we're going to focus deeply on. That's it. And we're going to do an amazingly good job on it. We're going to put more love into it. That's it. Could you specifically name uh, one or two parts of the app or features that can serve as a good example for this, where you put specifically like 5x more attention, love, and uh, iteration in, if that's okay to share? Totally. So we're working on a whole lot of things. I, I think I'd rather not share the details of exactly one thing or the other, but there's, there's a whole lot of things that we're working and there's a bunch of things in the app that you can take a look at right from onboarding where how we make the product much, much better on an onboarding side of things where users have to do very, very little while they go through it and the defaults are just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'd rather not share the details, by the way. That's fine. I can't avoid using my chance to ask you about user onboarding and what's your approach to user onboarding at Clavio, because it's obviously a challenge and it takes a lot of work to get uh, set up in an email automation platform. And that's yeah, a lot I... like taking the horse to water and helping it drink, you know, is a different story. <laughs> Absolutely. It's fresh in my mind, which is why there is a recency bias happening here. We're working on it. We're not yet at a point where we've released anything in this space. We are releasing a bunch of things and we're working on it. And some of the things that I can share is that we're paying attention to all of the places where we ask for information or ask for an action. Because every time we as designers ask for information or ask for an action, we're putting a blockage. We're saying, hey, stop, right? What are the places that we can automatically do certain things? That's what we're paying attention to. And then what we're also doing is we're going through things like it's not really a wizard, but things like a checklist. You know, how could we put across a more elegant way, like a checklist, to, to our customers 
to remind them, to give them a sense of here's level one, level two, level three of what you could do. And this comes a little bit from a gaming standpoint, right? Like uh, games always do a really, really good execution of completing levels and how we could translate that into the design inside of Klaviyo. So that's what we've been thinking about. How long has Klaviyo been out as a product? How many years? 10 plus years. 10 plus. Wow. That's definitely not an overnight success. What is it like to work on a mature product? And basically, how do you balance gradual improvement with radical improvement that can actually enhance the life of people versus legacy and maintaining that? Absolutely. So Klaviyo has a good product foundation. When I joined Klaviyo, Klaviyo already had some really good designers, really good product, really good product people who can think through product, good engineers. And so it made my job much easier, right? The challenge then is to take it to the next step function. And that's not easy. What that basically means is that we really need to keep pushing hard on inspiring internally. And it's not been easy either. It's been like super hard to get everybody together to think about like, hey, here's the possibility. Here's what we can do, right? And I've enjoyed it. I've very much enjoyed it. What is the balance between necessary and unnecessary? And the reason why I'm saying it this way, we had a few episodes of how to bring fun into your work. And it always comes that to the point that the most fun things and the most delightful things are are less functional and even unnecessary, but putting effort and time into them is justified by delight. So how much of that kind of things do you do at Clayview versus routine functional work? I listened to that episode, by the way, <laughs> and it, it, was, it was fun. My point, I think it's a little bit different. In my view, I think of it as play, not fun. And play is not about rules. A game is about rules and there is a winner and a loser. Play is usually never about rules. And it does not matter whether you win or or lose. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that approach, what happens is if we are iterating a lot and we're creating product that kind of is throwaway, which is like, it doesn't really make sense once we build it, that's okay. Making to think is play. Making to think is fun. That's why like when this is, this is the artist side of me that you will see, like I make tables, chairs, like, you know, I, I make physical products and I'll make one whole thing and then decide it's not, not right and break it up, right? And it's the exact same thing in software. We make it, we look at it, we try it out. We might not even put it in front of users. We might do that too, but that iteration, multiple steps is what is play. And that's about getting to remarkable product, right? And remarkable product is a product that I feel proud about. 
and you feel proud about. We all know it when we see it. We feel that, right? And that's that's kind of goes back to the more love part of things. It's about like the multiple iterations that get us to the right spot. Does that answer your question, by the way? I think so. Definitely okay. interesting to hear your philosophy on it. One of the last questions for today would be about iterations and specifically about user testing, how you mm-hmm. test drive those iterations with your customers, whether it's with a like, panel of customers or part of your customer base. How do you do that? And best tips for this. Yeah. So we might go to our existing customer base. If we have to look at certain things that are existing customers, we don't really have, we have certain uh, groups in panels, but generally speaking, we end up going to talk to individuals as customers. We look at data that is also from an analytics standpoint, which is data that's usage data. We look at data from what somebody, like a few customers that might have had a lot of trouble doing something you know, we start to follow them to see what exactly happened and why our product wasn't necessarily ideal for them. Then we also might do a usability test. We might do a concept test with them. We might co-create with them. And those are all typically very individual one-on-one kind of sessions. And so we have a team of design researchers that specialize and do that kind of work. And every one of our designers, product people, also have discussions with their, with the customers directly, because that's the best way that we can get really close to our customers. That's the ethos that we have in the, inside of the company, where we're always talking to customers. What would be three things that our listeners could start doing in their work? to practice slow design? The first thing I'd say is just be intentional about doing good design. That's about like being human-centric. That's about focusing in on the needs and the aspirations of people, okay? Second is put measures in place that are long-term. So it's not optimizing for short-term clicks. It's measures that are changing the outcomes over a year, over a long-term period. Now, it definitely cannot be measured very quickly, obviously, when you start to say long-term. And so if somebody is looking for a promotion tomorrow, that's not going to happen. It is about focusing in again on the customer. That's number two, right? Number three is go back to relationships. And that's I would say one of the biggest lessons I learned from COVID is that relationships are much more valuable than just transactions. And so switching that kind of mindset to relationships instead of transactions, I think is key for a designer. Are there any books, your favorite articles or anything that we can include in our show notes that would be great, you know, follow-up reading on today's topic. Sure. There are a few things that I can share that we are doing from a Clavio perspective, a bunch of interviews that one of my coworkers, Ali, has done of folks inside of Clavio Design, and that might help quite a bit. 
I have come across a Medium article where you recommend a whole range of books for a designer to, yes. to learn and grow. Some of your favorites from that list that could resonate with today's episode. And I'm going to link to that totally. uh, Medium post anyways. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a classic is Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And mm-hmm. it really focuses in on the human side of design. I would call it out as a highly recommended book. Sounds very relevant, even by the title. <laughs> yeah. There's some other things. There's one that I would say is not necessarily straightforward relevant, but is highly inspirational and could have also cost. For me, it's like, you know, it's a very tangential thing, but there's a book that I've read by a person called Victor Papinek in Industrial Design that really focuses industrial designers on what should we work on from a design perspective. And it's a good read as well. What's the title of the book? It's called Design for the Real World, Human Ecology and Social Change. Pri, thanks so much for joining us today and for great food for thought and inspiration. Where can people find more of you personally and more of Clavio online? You can find me at LinkedIn, Twitter. You feel free to message me as well. You can also find Clavio at Clavio.com. Come become a customer. Come join our team. If you're a builder that's passionate about making stuff, come join us. Fantastic. Thank you once again and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much, Jim.